1: Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people in politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist, Heather Knight, and this episode will appear on our flagship podcast, Fifth and Mission Two. I'm here with Dr. Allison Bond, an infectious disease expert at UCSF. She's talking about what it's like to treat patients with COVID-19, whether we've really flattened the curve already, and when life might return to some semblance of normal. Dr. Allison Bond, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, excited to be here. So you're a doctor at UCSF working in the hospital and clinic with people who have infections, and there's a major infection people are interested in right now, of course, which is COVID-19. Wondered if you could just describe what you're seeing on a daily basis when it comes to the coronavirus.
2: Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think there's um, just so much going on. It's hard to know, kind of, where to start. And it sort of depends what point of view you're you're looking from. I think, you know, broadly, um, there's a lot of activity in the hospital in terms of um, preparing for what we think might be sort of a wave of these um, patients with COVID um, coming into the hospital, um, as well as, you know, a lot of activity also in terms of caring for the folks who are in the hospital already with COVID. Um, and there's, you know, just a lot of um, tension and I think uncertainty around the best way to be uh, potentially uh, treating these patients. Um, we don't have very much data at all in terms of um, potential therapeutics at this point point. Um, and also a lot of um, a lot of um, sort of conflicting thought about testing and who should be tested and um, and, and of course, you know, also from the the healthcare um, standpoint, also doctors, nurses, patient transporters, people who clean the hospital rooms, just everybody who's in the hospital is also sort of concerned about their own safety. And um, and of course, I'm sure you've heard about the dearth of PPE. Um, right. That's that's sort of around. Although I I think the the um, hospitals here in the city are pretty well off in terms of protective equipment, at least for now. Good.
1: How many patients with the coronavirus do you have so far at UCSF?
2: Uh, I think it depends which hospital you're talking about. Um so uh, UCSF has, you know, a couple of different hospitals that we're affiliated with, including San Francisco General, uh mm-hmm. UCSF, um, and the VA. Um, and I think there are a handful probably at each hospital. Um, I think UCSF, um, as of today, there was something like nine. Patience. Uh, don't mm-hmm. quote me on that, although this is a podcast, so I will be quoted. Um, <laughs> you just quoted yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that was sort of the latest that I heard was nine patience And then, um, you know, in terms of the latest number at the general, I'm not sure. But certainly, I think we're still in the high single digits, low double digits, uh, nowhere near kind of New York at this point Mm -hmm. Um, and I I do know that the total in the city at large is, um, I think 374 today, according to the SFDPH's website, um, with six, um, unfortunately deaths so far. So that's citywide.
1: And can you describe, of course, not anything personal, but the patients you've treated so far, uh, what are their demographics tended to be like? Are they older? Did they have other health problems? Is there a certain type of person who's seeming to come to the hospital?
2: Um, I think, um certainly the people that come to the hospital with um these symptoms tend to be people that have that do have other medical issues um i think we're probably seeing a biased sample there because you know, folks who are not hit as hard by the virus because maybe they are younger, maybe they do have fewer medical issues, just aren't coming to care. And so they may be infected, but we just don't know. Um, and so I will say, you know, particularly people who get sicker from this infection tend to be um, people that have other medical issues like diabetes and high blood pressure and do tend to be older, but certainly it can affect anybody.
1: And what, did, what are the most common symptoms that you've seen?
2: Um, usually the, um, you know, fever, cough kind of story, those are the two predominant, um, symptoms that we're hearing about, but certainly other stuff like muscle aches, um, you know, you can rarely have upset stomach or diarrhea. Um, you know, generally it's sort of hard to distinguish from the flu and other viruses. Um, this does seem to be one that causes, you know, generally more cough than maybe what we've seen, but uh, what we've seen with the flu and other viruses. But, you know, again, this is so early in terms of this emerging infection that we don't really have great data to say this is, you know, the predominant symptom that we generally see. We're we're starting to just only see the beginning of trends in terms of symptoms.
1: And I'm glad to hear that you said that you have enough protective gear so far, but is it scary as a medical provider to treat patients with such a contagious disease? And how do you kind of struggle with that?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, to be honest, as an infectious disease doctor, um, a lot of times I have the benefit of actually the colleagues that are even more at the front lines um, than I am in terms of having a heads up and kind of knowing what um, myself and what my colleagues might be walking into in the room. Um, and the the people that I'm really uh, more sort of fearful for, um, the people that have more contact with um, people who might be infected and perhaps don't even know it until after they have left the hospital room and and talked to the patient are people in the emergency department, um, you know, hospital medicine folks. Um, And I think, you know, potentially even more than physicians, um, nurses are in and out of those rooms much more often. So, yeah, it's it's nerve-wracking, but I almost feel like I have it easy compared to a lot of the other people that are working really hard on this.
1: Mm-hmm. And we're all hearing horror stories from hospitals in Italy and New York City and elsewhere of patients on beds in the hallways or doctors collapsing in exhaustion or even getting sick themselves. And it doesn't seem like that has happened here in San Francisco in any major way. Um, do you think that that's what it's going to be like, or are we flattening the curve, or where do you see us heading in the next week or two?
2: I think there are some signs that we may be flattening the curve. Um, but I'm hesitant to say that because, um, A, I don't want to jinx it. But um, B, you know, I think that that should not dissuade people from continuing to physically distance uh, themselves from others. And um, it shouldn't dissuade people from staying home. Um, because, again, you know, these are um, reassuring signs, but certainly there's still room for for, for things to go south. And so um, I'm optimistic about that, for sure. But, um, you know, I think even though also, you know, maybe, thank, thank goodness, like, my colleagues haven't gotten um, so far gravely ill from this, there still have been, you know, a fair number of healthcare workers in the city who have tested positive. Um, and so... Uh, you know, you get enough of those and, and inevitably some of those are going to be serious illnesses. So there's still, I think, plenty to worry about there.
1: Right. Um. Dr. Grant Colfax, the head of the city's Department of Public Health, just spoke a couple of hours ago and said it's too early to say that we flattened the curve and he's still concerned that a surge is coming. Um. Do you feel like we probably haven't dodged a bullet or? um,
2: Yeah, when will no, we know- I, I agree with with what he's saying. Certainly, I mean, there are some signs that make it look like maybe this is um, a more promising trajectory than maybe had been predicted. But I think it's way too early to say that this is a success or to let our guards down in any way. And so I would uh, definitely agree with that statement that he said.
1: Mm -hmm. And the city is announcing an extension of the shelter in place until at least May 1st. Uh, Do you think that that's the right move? Absolutely.
2: A hundred percent.
1: And are we getting any better in San Francisco about being able to test? Because that may be one reason why numbers don't seem as high as other places.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, You know, we just don't know what the denominator is in terms of how many people have had this. Um, And so, you know, there have been certainly a lot of um, rollouts of um, in-house testing Um, in terms of uh, the hospitals that I've worked at. So primarily UCSF and San Francisco General are the ones that I'm the most familiar with. But initially, these were tests that had to be sent out to either the Department of Public Health or other institutions, and that would create a turnaround time on the matter of days. And then, you know, it was really pretty amazing, pretty remarkable, shows just a lot of effort and talent on the part of, um, you know, the people that designed these t- tests, but, you know, very rapidly developed testing that was in our own labs in these hospitals that can give a result within, you know, certainly less than 12 hours essentially. And so, um, things are certainly rapidly scaling up in terms of the, um, how quickly we can get results and also the capacity to, to perform more tests. Um, I think we're still a pretty long way from being able to test everybody that we would like to, and we're still being careful about, um, about who we're testing. Um, but I think we How do you we're, decide we're right uh, to give a test to or not? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That's been, that's been the question, um, for, for a lot of us, um, and, you know, I think it hinges on basically two general factors. One is um, how high the index of suspicion is that a person might have it um, in terms of, of their symptoms. You know, if somebody comes in with cough and fever and um, they've got... You know, testing or imaging—that's really concerning for pneumonia. That's probably somebody where we think, "Hmm, this sounds like COVID," and I think we'll test them. Um, so that's one person who is high priority to get a test. The other um, sort of group of people um, that we think about is uh, is folks who, you know, would have a broad impact from a public health standpoint if they were found to have a, a positive COVID test. So even if somebody maybe doesn't seem to have the textbook symptoms, but say that person lives in a group setting like a nursing home or they are homeless um, and they live in an encampment or they stay in a homeless shelter, You know, even if the story doesn't really sound um, as convincingly um, COVID-like, uh, we still might, might test those people because we wouldn't want to miss that and run the risk of them um, sort of ca- causing an outbreak um, in the place where they stay.
0: to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm back with Dr. Allison Bond. I'm glad you brought up the
1: homeless population because I think a lot of San Franciscans are worried about that with trying to... Um, social distance at shelters and therefore thin the number of people inside shelters. Um, the city has stopped taking shelter reservations, so people on the streets are going to be on the streets for the time being. Does that seem like an environment that's just rife for potential spread of this virus?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, rightfully so, uh, people who are in charge of, of um, you know, You know, these places where people who are homeless can stay are concerned about protecting the people that are there um, from infection. And so um, I can certainly see sort of both sides of that um, argument. But it it is certainly, you know, um, when you when you think about how um, close um, people sleep in these environments and things like that, it certainly um, would be very easy for an infection to spread rapidly rapidly. so it's it's something that you know I think it's good that people are being cautious about. I think um, this um, pandemic in general is sort of showing the cracks in our healthcare system, um, and right. in particular, really putting on display the shortage of housing that we have. Um, and so, um, you know, it's it's sort of creating even more of an issue now that there are even fewer shelter beds potentially. Right. And in such
1: a mobile society, even if San Francisco does everything right, how do we prevent the virus from coming in from elsewhere at some later point?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think we can. I think this is um, this is an infection that there's certainly concern that, you know, this um, this order to to stay home until May 1st um, may sort of quell this first infection. Uh, this first wave of infections, Um, but there's concern that this may come back, say, in the fall or winter, kind of like we see, you know, the flu um, surge um, around that time of year. And I think, um, you know, things that might help mitigate that include a vaccine, which, again, you know, is, is far away at this point, but is something that we can certainly hope for in the future. And then, you know, we just don't know how many people have been exposed at this point. Um, But if a number, if a lot of people have been exposed and they're immune, then you're going to see herd immunity. And that might also help um, prevent this from being something that comes back um, with a vengeance and makes a lot of people really sick.
1: So if you had a crystal ball, um, what would your prediction be about when life in San Francisco will return to normal?
2: (laughs) Um, Well, I think, let's see. Um, I think that, you know, from what I've heard in terms of predictions uh, for when things may may peak, um, it's been sort of the first half of April. And so I think um, looking into May, things may start to um, feel a bit more normal, especially if that um, stay at home order is lifted at that point. Um, you know, I think there will probably be, I I was thinking about this earlier. I I think it will be a very interesting dynamic, um, as everyone sort of comes out of their homes and life sort of resumes as normal in in terms of people sort of looking over their shoulder and being really cautious and wondering like, all right, now that we're all together again, is this going to just come right back? And so, um, you know, even if life returns to normal, I don't know sort of how long that will last.
1: Mm -hmm. Would you imagine that it will return to normal overnight or will there be (laughs) restrictions like maybe there aren't Warriors games or there aren't, you know, major gathering events or something like that? Would you recommend like a slow reentry?
2: I think that um, objectively that makes sense just in terms of the number of of exposures that people are having with other people. Um, Certainly there are a lot of interests at play. Um, and this is kind of a data free zone. And so I think only time will tell in terms of um, in terms of how it, it actually plays out. But from a public health perspective, I think um, it it makes sense that fewer exposures would um, be sort of like a testing ground to see if the infection, you know, stays away. And then if, if, it, if everything's OK, then potentially um, open things up further. But I think that is that is also further complicated by the fact that You know, the incubation period for this virus is up to two weeks. And so the effects may be very delayed and sort of hard to parse out as well.
1: I should correct myself because giants would be playing this summer, not the Warriors.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just to get that
1: on the record. (laughs) Um, There's been a lot of... Conservative reaction to paint the coronavirus as a hoax or saying that people like the mayor or governor here in California are overreacting. And there are videos online showing hospitals that look pretty run of the mill from the outside, like, you know, just normal looking parking lots, as if to signal that nothing much is going on inside. I was wondering if you've seen those and what you would say to the people who are spreading this idea that this is all a big made up hoax.
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's. It's unfortunate that you know things can seem so normal or even quieter than normal from the outside, um, especially as everybody, you know the streets are quiet in in major cities and things look like there's there's not much happening there. Um, and you really you know have to step foot into set foot into a hospital to sort of see what's happening. Um, you can't really tell from the outside, but I think um, that, you know, it's part of our job in the in the medical community, in the public health community, really is to be communicating with um, the greater population. And so, you know, people who are saying that it's a hoax, I don't necessarily blame them. I think um, I think we need to be doing a better job, maybe, of of um, having open lines of communication and just really um, being clear with people um, and not assuming that. That people are seeing what what we as a medical medical community are, are seeing every day. Um, so
1: San Franciscans are eager to express their thanks to people like you and other heroic doctors and nurses um, and they're starting something tonight at seven where they're encouraging people to go outside and cheer for doctors and nurses. and I was wondering what you think of that and what in your mind is the best way that city residents could show their appreciation.
2: That's really nice. Uh, I hadn't heard that about San Francisco. I've I've seen similar yeah. things in um, Chicago and New York, but I mean, that's really wonderful. And certainly, you know, um, we appreciate the support of the public. Um, but I think sort of two things, um, you know, the, uh, the best way that I think people can support healthcare workers is by kind of staying home, preventing the spread of disease. And, um, you know, if they're able to Um, help donate PPE or, um, you know, other other things that help might protect that might help protect healthcare workers. I think that's that's much appreciated. But the other thing that I just want to bring up is that, you know, so many of these things are are sort of lauding doctors and nurses. And that's really wonderful. But I think that there are just so many other people that are working really hard right now, um, you know, within the hospital um, that are just not being thanked at all, um, and and the people that I think really actually deserve a lot of the thanks are, um, you know, the environmental services workers who are cleaning these rooms after the COVID patients are in there. In there, you know, they're putting their their lives at, at stake or at risk every single day. Um, and really, you know, not there's no um, there there's far less sort of um, you know congratulatory um, stuff right. going on there and, and same with, you know, just everybody who's working in the hospital. And, um, and so I, I guess I would just broaden that 7 p.m. cheer to include everybody who's working in the hospital. Cause I feel like the, um, some of the credit is, is sort of like just concentrated on a couple groups of people. Whereas there's, there are a lot of people that are, um, not being thanked who really should be.
1: Right. Um, here in San Francisco that, um, The thanking at 7 p.m. was really started by the teachers' union. So I thought that was cool that it's one group of heroes supporting another group
2: of heroes. Oh, nice. That's very cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, these are all my serious questions. And now it's time for our lightning round, which I'm sticking with because I think people can use a smile these days. Absolutely. (laughs) Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a
2: burrito? Oh, um, any place in the mission, I think. Um, I have to admit, I'm sort of a newcomer to San Francisco. I've only lived here for a little over a year and a half. So I'm not, I'm no expert. Um, so I'm always open to suggestions if you have any.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, I can gather all the previous answers in there. Okay. <laughs> what, um, this might be a hard one since you're pretty new to the city, but do you have a favorite movie filmed in San Francisco?
2: Um. The Rock. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> I know, one. I don't know. That's the, the only. Uh, that's the only movie that I can think of that was filmed in, in SF. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm a I'm fan sure there of Sean, are Sean very Connery, many, but I just, um, I just haven't seen them. So I'm gonna go with The Rock. Yeah. Okay.
1: Where is your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? Back when bars uh, were open.
2: Oh yeah, um, I think um, I really like Marlowe for kind of a, a classy, uh, classy drink in yeah. the uh, in the China Basin area. Cool.
1: What was your first concert?
2: Um, I don't even remember. Um, yeah. I Can we go to the next one? Yes, we can. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what was the last book you read?
2: Oh, uh, last book I read was actually Elderhood by Louise Aronson, which I highly recommend. Okay, great.
1: Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite depiction of a doctor in TV or in the movies?
2: Oh, uh, definitely Scrubs. That's the most accurate one. <laughs> Really? <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is something pop culture tends to get wrong about being a doctor?
2: Um, hmm. Well, whenever I watch any medical related show, I always sort of think to myself how well rested and glamorous everybody looks. <laughs> yeah. um, they should really show us how we how we are with like the messy hair and rumpled clothes. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's one uh, one thing that could change. <laughs> is it
1: true that everybody's always falling in love with each other?
2: Um, some people, but not everyone.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day?
2: Um, I think time with my family.
1: Great. Well,
2: thank yeah. you so much for
1: joining me and for um, treating our patients.
2: Thank you. Have a good one. Take care.
1: Thank you to Dr. Allison Bond for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. If you want to support San Francisco City Insider and the newsroom that creates it, become a member of the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Heather Knight. Thanks for listening.